OTB. Probably days we were questioning maybe whether this would ever happen first. So now, you know, as I said, it's special and it'll be all undone. Is the only thing if you don't get over the line next week. So um, everything now is riding on that one. Subscribe to the OTBGAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. Football on Off the Ball. With Sky, the Premier League is back. Watch every live game for the rest of the season on Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. This is News Talk. Welcome back. So two live games on Off the Ball this Sunday. First up, we'll have Chelsea against Crystal Palace from 2 o'clock with myself and Brian Kerr. And then a slightly bigger London derby. It is the North London derby. Tottenham against Arsenal. Arsenal, of course, top of the Premier League table heading into that game. They are five points clear of Manchester City and they are 11 points clear of Spurs. Uh, to look ahead to this, I'm joined by Andrew Mangan of Arsblog. How are you keeping, Andrew? I'm very well. Yourself? Uh, when do the nerves start ahead of Derby Day? Uh, I guess it'll probably kick in sort of lunchtime Sunday. You it's, know? it's 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 a worrying one, isn't it? Like it's written in the stars that Harry Kane scores twice and surpasses Jimmy Greaves' as, as Spurs all-time record scorer. Well, if both of them are penalties, then probably, <laughs> yes. He seems to get a lot of penalties against us down the years. So, yeah. I don't mind if he scores twice, if Arsenal score three, you know. Yeah, a classic for everybody, for the neutrals. Uh, life must be pretty good covering Arsenal right now. Yeah, I mean, we've had some difficult years. We've had more trying seasons than this one, that's for sure. And this one has been has been pretty enjoyable all the way through so far. Um, exceeding expectations, I would say. I think every Arsenal fan was looking for improvement and we could see last season that there were signs that this was a team that was going in the right direction. But I think if you'd said, you know, into January, five points clear at the top of the table, uh, I think every single one of us would have bitten your hand off for that. So it's it's nice to be where we are, um, but it's about keeping it going now, I guess. There were signs last season that there was potentially a very special crop of young players there and if they could get the right mix of experienced heads with that maybe over the coming two or three years Arsenal could get themselves even back in the mix this real rapid rise and the pace of of progression that they've shown over the pers- first half of this season what do you put that down to is, is it something from the training ground over the summer that Mikel Arteta has brought forward is, is it just that actually everyone's been taken by surprise how good these young players are I think it's a combination of things. I think the additions of Gabriel Jesus and Alexander Zinchenko, two very experienced players who've won the lot really with Manchester City. Um, you know, they're the right age, 25. They've come in. They've sort of um, not shifted the mentality, but I think they have they have brought something to the training ground and the way that people train and, and everything else. Um, they were good additions. I think also someone like William Saliba has come in and made a big difference at the back. Ben White started the season at right back, and I don't know that everyone would have expected him to be still the right back at this point of the season. He's been absolutely fantastic, a real unsung hero of Arsenal's season. And then, of course, you've got players like Saka, who has taken another step forward, Gabriel Martinelli, who's taken another step forward. Um it's been a pretty light squad. I think we've been relatively lucky when it comes to injuries. So there's been consistency of selection and then all those things coming together with, with good form, um, bit of rhythm, bit of confidence, momentum, all of those things I think have played into where Arsenal are right now. They're riding the crest of a wave. You kind of keep having to remind ourselves that we haven't even reached the midway point of the season. And this is a busy few weeks coming up. So North London Derby, 
Manchester United and the first of the games against City coming quickly over the next month or so. The areas you've seen from Arsenal where maybe opposition are looking at, where if there is a way to get at this Arsenal team, the games, that, and there have been uh, very few of them so far, that they haven't won or they've struggled in. What are the areas where they've, found, where they've, where they've struggled in? It's a really good question. I mean, I think the, the, the game that we lost in the Premier League was against Manchester mm. United. Um, and we played really well that day, but ended up on the end of a, a 3-1 scoreline. I think you might look at the Newcastle game perhaps as one that opposition teams might see as a kind of blueprint in terms of how you play against Arsenal. They didn't give Arsenal any space. They stayed really compact, well-organized. They're a very good team defensively, we know, because you look at their record in the Premier League this season, they don't concede a lot of goals, and they made life pretty difficult for Arsenal. So I do wonder if the way teams approach games against Arsenal now will change because we're a team that's top of the table. I think if you're playing a team that's in 8th or 10th or whatever, you don't necessarily pay as much attention to how you stop that team. But a team that has won as many games as Arsenal, that has scored as many goals as Arsenal, I think you have to, uh, the opposition have to sort of reconsider how they approach those games. Newcastle might be a bit of a blueprint where Arsenal might just be missing something is a bit of a plan B in attack, something different. There isn't a great deal of de- uh, depth on the bench with Gabriel Jesus out injured. So that's where Arsenal might be lacking. So if you can restrict the starting 11, there isn't quite as much on the bench as there should be for a team that is now, as it stands, going to compete in the Premier League, in the FA Cup, uh, and also in the Europa League. So that's that's maybe where the weakness lies just at this moment in time. Uh, all the transfer speculation around January is around the Shakhtar Donetsk forward Mikhailo Mudrik and uh, reports that maybe it's been delayed at the moment but it seems with Chelsea signing Jao Felix that they're maybe no longer in the running for Mudrik. Uh, the trust that is in Mikel Arteta and Edu and the decision makers in terms of signings, like they've had such a success rate, probably since the signing of Nicola Pepe, which didn't work out, but bringing in Gabriel Jesus, Martin Odegaard, Gabriel Martinelli, Thomas Partey, all of these players have come into the club for you know reasonable fees, reasonably expensive fees, and have delivered. Is is there a sense, do you think, within the club that we can trust Mikel Arteta with a massive outlay on a player like Mudrick? Yeah, I think that's I think that's very much the case. They've earned that trust as well. Like not all of the deals have been good and I think with every every club there's transfers that are hit and miss, but Arsenal made a very very obvious decision to change the way they did business. Deals like David Luiz, like Willian players who were coming in as a bit of a sticking plaster to help try and just get over the line, get back into the Champions League. Those kinds of signings are are gone by the wayside. They made a very conscious decision to go with young players um, the summer before last when they brought in the likes of Aaron Ramsdale, Ben White, Takahiro Tomiyasu, etc., etc. And I think the big money signings have delivered. Um, People were questioning the amount of money that Arsenal paid for Aaron Ramsdale. It's turned out to be worth it. They question the amount of money Arsenal were going to pay for Ben White. It looks like a snip at this moment in time. So I think they've earned that trust. I, I suspect that they're probably going to have to pay a little bit more than they're comfortable with for Mudrik, simply because of how uh, obstinate might be the word that, that Shakhtar are when it comes to his fee. Um, 
the question will be like how much of that fee is going to be upfront and how much is going to be in incentives and add-ons. And I think that's where the impasse is at this moment in time because he is still relatively inexperienced. He hasn't played a huge amount of football. He's playing in the Ukrainian league. Um, players like Cody Gakpo, for example, have gone to Liverpool for much less than what Shakhtar are looking for. So if they have a great deal of faith in his talent and his potential, I think they need to probably put a bit more stock in the in the add-ons part and that's where the uh, the negotiations are are ongoing i believe so i think they'll get there in the end but it's just it's just quite how much it's going to cost and where are arsenal financially now when you look at their competitors and liverpool and manchester united both up for sale uh, tottenham constant complaints of a lack of investment in the playing squad from the manager and the supporters and chelsea while recently sold it feels like a bit of a basket case at the moment like Arsenal are top of the league so there's always a sense everything around the club is in a good state but financially with the ownership where are Arsenal at the moment? I think the ownership have you know have come in for a great deal of criticism down the years Um, I think it would be fair to say that they've really backed the the manager and the club in the last couple of years they've they've done things like restructure the stadium debt you know the outstanding debt they took a bit of a hit on that they took some loans out to sort of pay that off early and and to sort of free up money i mean arsenal have spent a lot of money in the last few years um we're top of the league but it's not like we've just sort of brought through 11 players from the academy there's been big money signings a party 50 million ben white 50 million gabriel jesus 45 zinchenko 35 fabio vieira 30 you know 35 there's a lot of money been spent so i don't think that arsenal are sort of in the same bracket as a man city or a chelsea in terms of what those owners are going to put in or even a newcastle at this point but the owners have backed the manager and when he has looked for investment and looked for new players by and large he's got them so i think there's a you know a real push to try and get something done this january because they recognize the position that they're in this season they know that there's a real opportunity here for arsenal like you say we're not even at the halfway point but it's such a good spot to be in that you have to try and capitalize and build on that and i think that's what they're going to try and do and as we head into this weekend and the big games to come the the type of pressure and the focus that is on the team is unlike anything a lot of these players will have dealt with before maybe even the likes of Zinchenko and Jesus who have played but were at one part of a Manchester City machine whereas here they're very much front and centre we maybe got a glimpse in that in the in the Newcastle game and the fallout from Mikel Arteta's behaviour on the sideline because listen he's always been a bit of a rant and a raver at times but now everybody's eyes are on Arsenal and we're reading a huge amount into every little thing that this is something his emotional state on the sideline could destabilise the players on the pitch and were there little signs of that during the Newcastle game uh, you're watching them week in week out over the last three years uh, was was that out of character for Arteta? And would you have a concern that, uh, I don't know, we're heading towards the Kevin Keegan moment at some stage over the next few months? No, not at all. I mean, this is who he is. This is who he's been since he took over. This is what he does. This is how he has behaved. It's only in the spotlight because that big Egypt Richard Keyes keeps going on and on about it. And a couple of people wrote articles about it. And, and it's in the spotlight. I think it comes with the territory, though. You know, you're top of the table. Uh, it's a it's a big game against Newcastle. There's a contentious incident at the end, hmm. and all of a sudden there are more eyes on you. Nobody really cares if it's a team in mid-table doing this. It's glossed over. 
But I suppose the thing that Arsenal fans will look at is like Mikel Arteta has behaved this way ever since he took over. There's passion on the sidelines, but he's not the only manager to do this. You look back at the, the Tuchel-Conte handshake this year, um, Jurgen Klopp, Pep Guardiola booting a water bottle the other day, all, all those kinds of things. All the managers do it. It's just a bit of a storm in a teacup, I think. I think you're right to say that there are eyes on Arsenal. I think this weekend in particular uh, at White Hart Lane for a North London derby where Arsenal haven't won since 2014, if I'm right. You know, I think there's going to be even more focus on the manager and on the players and how they behave and, and all the rest of it. So it's down to them to let their football do the talking. In terms of how they set up tactically, it, it feels one of the big changes this season was was the freedom given to Granit Xhaka, who was sort of seen as your almost traditional holding midfielder, with maybe a you know a, a very good passer of the ball, but obviously also questions about his temperament. Like the job he's done on Xhaka to get him back from that position where it looked like he might never play for the club again to mm. being this key figure playing the best football of his career uh, can you talk a bit about what he's done with him individually that you've seen and also his his man management of the other players around the squad I mean just on the wider point I think you can look at most of the players in this Arsenal team and say that they've improved under Mikel Arteta it's not just Granit Xhaka but Xhaka's situation was was fairly unique. You know, Arteta came in a couple of weeks after that big incident against Crystal Palace. Maybe it was a, a bit more, maybe six weeks or something. And Xhaka, you know, wanted to leave. Arteta told him, no, we want you to stay. But he was quite interesting. He spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, Arteta, and he said to Granite Xhaka, I'm going to paraphrase here a little bit. He just said, look, we need you to get closer to the opposition box. We need you to contribute more to the build-up, to contribute more to goal scoring and goal uh, chance creation and if you don't do it then you know we'll have to look somewhere else so he kind of laid down a marker for Xhaka as well it wasn't just a case of like okay you know babying him into this position he he told him what he wanted from him and also said if he didn't get it he'd look somewhere else and I think Xhaka has responded really really well to that he's I think he's always been a guy who's who's been available. I think his consistency of selection is one of his big qualities, but he's fitter, he's stronger, he's sharper, he's kind of quicker. You know, he's never been the most nimble, shall we say. But I think there's a sort of lightness of foot to him that that wasn't there before. And I think you have to give Mikel Arteta credit, but you also have to give Granit Xhaka credit for the way he's responded and the way that he's trained and the way that he has grown into that position. And he really is a huge, uh, a huge figure in this team. His experience is absolutely vital. Uh, the two wide players as well, Martinelli and Saka, and it, you know, I don't go overboard considering the quality of wingers that Arsenal have had, even in the Premier League era with Perez and Overmars and Parler and Lundberg and that. But mm -hmm. these two look as good as anything as Arsenal have produced, uh, certainly since then, and maybe if they continue on their trajectory, we'll get to that level. Well, they're both only 21. And what they're doing at 21 years of age is is fantastic. The consistency, the the contributions. I mean, they've I think they they've got seven goals each so far this season. A number of assists as well. Um, they are well and truly consolidated as the the first choice on the left and right for Arsenal. Uh, whether teams pay them a bit more attention. I mean, we saw in the Newcastle game, sometimes Newcastle doubled up and tripled up on Bakayo Saka whenever he got the ball. So it tells you what the opposition think of, of players like this. Um, 
yeah, they've been fantastic. And I think they can only get better as well. That's the really exciting part about this. Their age means they're going to get better. And and hopefully, whatever happens in the rest of this season, um, the very least that Arsenal will have at the end of it is Champions League football. Mm. And I think these guys these guys need that as well, that that extra level to develop even further because the, their potential is off the charts. It is a testament to Arteta that you could go through almost that full first-choice 11 and, as you say, he feels like he's improved almost all of them. Like I remember hmm. Martin Odegaard playing out in Tala a few years ago for the Norway under-21s and, you know, you see his name and you go, just whatever happened to him? And you sort of knew he was still around the Spanish league and the expectations were so high when he goes to Real Madrid at 15. Like, Again, to take the risk to sign him, to make the investment, to give him such a central role in the team, to make him captain, and then to actually get peak Martin Odegaard at you know entering the mm-hmm. peak years of his career uh, is something that, regardless of what happens over the next few months, you'd have to feel he's going to benefit Arsenal for years and keep them at a level for years into the future. Yeah, I mean, he's another great example of that. You know, uh, relatively big money. Again, though, £30 million looks like a snip now at this point. Uh, they took a bit of a gamble with him, uh, brought him in on loan and, and convinced him to come back. And he, again, has been he's been brilliant. I think he I think he's settled. I think he's found without wanting to sound too cliched about it. I think he's found a, a home, you know, a, a player who went to Real Madrid, like you say, at a very early age and had a couple of good loan spells, one at Real Sociedad in particular. He, he did very well. But. I think there comes a point where you've got to play regularly. You've got to be part of, you've got to feel part of something. And, and you know, for him to come in and to become the Arsenal captain and to become a mainstay in the team and, and possibly at this moment in time, the best player in the Premier League on current form is, a you know, again, is a testament to him. But you're right, you know, Mikel Arteta has given these guys the structure and the platform and the organisation to, to really bring out the best in them. I mentioned the sort of feel-good factor. There's the video going around of yesterday, this new wrap they've unveiled for the Emirates, which uh, the fans had a big input onto, and again, has all the pictures of uh, the greatest players, and I see Emma Byrne is among those who were up there, and there's real acknowledgement of the women's side of the club as well. Uh, Arsene Wenger was back at the club over Christmas for... Hard, that was the first time he was back since he left as manager. Yeah, that's right. And was that was that, was that his reluctance to come back, or was there was there a frostiness between him and the club with how it ended? I think yes. I think there was. I think there was a frostiness. I think the way it ended hurt him, and um, I think some of the figures who were there maybe he didn't want to um, to touch base with again, perhaps. Um, and also, I think he wanted to stay away because, like with Alex Ferguson, when you're in a job that long, your legacy looms large over whoever comes next. You know. But the time was right. It was great to see. It was great to see him back and. One of the things Mikel Arteta has done, and and like from day one, he's spoken about wanting to rebuild the connection between the club and the fans, the team and the fans, and that was made much more difficult, of course, because of COVID and and playing during lockdown and no fans in the stadium and everything else. Um, but you only have to go to a game now to understand and experience how different it is now compared to the way it was even when something doesn't go well even when something goes wrong on the pitch there's support from the stands and look everybody's enjoying being top of the league and it's easy to feel good and happy about things when you're top of the league but i also think part of the reason why arsenal are top of the league is is this connection that has grown between the fans that there is a support there 
that the the team get energy from i think that the the fans get energy from the team it's a little bit symbiotic if you like mm. and and it's um it's a much happier place to be i think for everybody uh, fans manager players uh, everyone it's good that Arson has gone into his retirement quietly and he's not just spending his time coming up with madcap ideas for the future of football that is going to ruin the fun for everybody. Well, you know, let's have a whole podcast or a whole show on FIFA. <laughs> we'll, yeah, we'll probably yeah. say a few things about that. It is, it is hard to describe just how toxic it could seem to have got at the Emirates at times in those last few years under Wenger. Like, it feels like a lifetime ago. I, I think back to doing commentary on the first day of the season was that Liverpool beat them 4-3 but they were 4-1 up with 20 minutes left Arsenal got a couple mm. of late consolations and I think it's still the only time I've been at a Premier League game and there was pretty much fights between supporters of the same team on a Wenger stay Wenger go like it had got pretty rough at Arsenal for a few years yeah it definitely did um, there were some unhappy times and even when Unai Emery came in that didn't really make things a great deal better and nobody wants to be angry at their football club nobody wants to look at the pitch and see players where you're going oh god not that guy not him you know nobody wants that but you know the the thing about football is like what looks great one moment can fall apart pretty quickly um it doesn't take much for things to unravel an arsenal unraveled slowly over a long period of time under under arsene there were some good moments you know some FA Cups towards the end and and everything else, but I think the change the change was overdue. This is a club now that's going in the right direction with a manager who who knows what he's doing, um, who recognizes the size of the club and wants to bring back the kind of success that everyone is craving for. So, you, football is cyclical as well, isn't it? You have good times, you have bad times. There's been some bad times at Arsenal. Right now, it feels pretty good, and hopefully that will continue for a good while yet. Yeah, you mentioned there being getting back into the Champions League for next season. Would you be happy with that now, with the position Arsenal have got themselves into? Uh, I mean, that's such a loaded question, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> now, if you ask me, of course not. But I think at the start of the season, that was the aim, was to make sure that, that progress was made and you get back into the into yeah. the Champions League. Look, how there's, the a way, there's a way of there's ways of losing it as well. Well, exactly. You know, if you if you get 98 points and City somehow get 99, I mean, what more can you do, really? You know, ask Liverpool fans about that, I guess. Um, hopefully, you know, the club will recognise the position they're in. They can do some business in January. They'll, they'll strengthen the squad. The young players will continue to get better. And, and this plan that's been put in place, this project or process, whatever you want to call it, will continue for, for a few years. I mean... When you're out in front and you lose a race, nobody likes it. But um, I think we can all see that winning the Premier League is is a very challenging thing. Um, and for an Arsenal team that's probably a little ahead of schedule, it might be a step too far this time around. But I don't think it means that it's the only chance. Because if they can play like this, if they can get the results they've got this season, if they can do that again and again, then hopefully our time will come. All right, Andrew, great stuff. Thanks for joining us as always. My pleasure. Andrew Mangan there from Ars Blog. And a reminder that we have full live commentary of the North London Derby, Tottenham against Arsenal on Off the Ball on Sunday. As Stephen Doyle and Kenny Cunningham with that one from half past four. All our football and Off the Ball is brought to you by Sky. All the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. Football on Off The Ball With Sky Proud partner and supporter of the Republic of Ireland Women's National Football Team
This is News Talk.